have your way in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Take a seat. Let's give it up for our band again. Won't be the last time. All right. Um, real quick. So it is the final night of camp. And this is something that I have read, I think, every year that I've been blessed to be here with you guys. Um, there is a book by J.D. Greer called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. <gasps> I highly recommend that you get that book. Um, it's very cheap. It's very short. Amen. Uh, it's on Amazon. So check it out. But J.D. Greer says this. Um, in the years that I spent as a youth pastor, I remember seeing high schoolers weep huge tears of regret at youth camp, usually on Thursday night, the last night of camp. By that time, the students had averaged about three hours of sleep each night for three nights straight. Amen. And the preacher had saved his best sermon for the final night. Don't know about that one. The band played everyone's favorite songs. Toward the end of Thursday night service, an emotional wall would break. I'd see a girl somewhere in the middle start crying because she felt ashamed about something she'd done and scared that her parents would find out about it. For high schoolers, crying works something like yawning. Seeing someone else do it suddenly makes you want to. So the person beside her would start crying. Then the person would see him crying and start crying. And then the first person saw another person start crying. And somehow on and on down the line it went. Soon the entire group would be down front weeping, confessing their sins, promising to be missionaries in Antarctica and not date until they were 30. They'd hold hands, walking back to their cabin, singing Kumbaya and talk late into the night about how awesome it is to become a Christian. Uh, here's the thing, an emotional moment may feel redemptive. It feels good to tell a friend or a pastor where you messed up and have him tell you that it's all going to be okay, that you're still a good person. Talking and crying, however, cannot establish your relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. Our tears do not wash away our, tears do not wash away our sin. Only Jesus' blood does. Salvation is not about making you feel better, but actually about removing your condemnation from God. And th this is what I want to, because you guys are about to walk out, you know, and see a bunch of other students, and there's going to be a lot of chaos. That, that's just not what we gun for at PVN. Um, we don't want to manipulate or interfere with the work of the Holy Spirit. Emotions are great. Emotions are fine. You see that in me all the time. But we are gunning for heart change, whatever that looks like, emotional or otherwise. Um, tonight, we're going to, all right, I don't know, all right, there we go. Uh, um, tonight, we're going to do this, and then we're going to have ice cream social after. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I saw Jamie Ritchie literally beating Oreos to a, like, like too much emotion in there, like beating Oreos into a pulp to make cookies and cream. Um, we're going to have ice cream. We're going to clean our rooms. We're going to hang out. We're going to go to bed. And tomorrow we're going to hit the road and fall asleep on the way home. Amen? Does that sound good? Yeah, there we go. All right, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Okay, there we go. All right. While you're turning there, listen to this story. True story. September 11th, 2001, the Twin Towers in New York City were attacked. Tim Keller, who you should definitely look up, T-I-M-K-E-L-L-E-R, Tim Keller, pastored a church called Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. 
The church was about 10 years old in 2001 and had strong attendance. Listen, but on Sunday, September 16th, 2001, the first Sunday after the September 11th attacks, 5,400 people showed up for church, eager for comfort and answers. To put that in perspective, on, on a PVN Sunday, and this is the sanctuary, the fellowship hall, the nursery and children's church, we have roughly about 700 people. And this church had 5,400 people show up five days after September 11th. So what do, you, what do you say? I mean, what do you say? Tim Keller talked about John 11 and Lazarus. One church member says, that morning, the morning service that Sunday was so full that Tim said, come back and we'll do another service right after this one. And just like that, Redeemer grew a second service. This is how their second service started. They just said, come back, and they just kept coming back. And so they did it like eight weeks in a row, and they just started a second service. That's crazy to me. And it started with Tim Keller preaching through John 11 with Lazarus. Lazarus is one of the most well-known people in the entire Bible. We have no idea what he looks like, and he never speaks. But people know him because of what Jesus did for him. And I hope that in a way, that could be said about us, that people would know us because of what Jesus has done for us. So John chapter 11, we're going to walk through the first few verses, and then we'll, we'll, that's where we'll spend our time. So John 11, verses 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the, it was the Mary who appointed the Lord, who, excuse me, whoa, there we go. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. So let's set the scene here. You've got Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, a brother and two sisters, and they all know Jesus. They have a close relationship with him. Mary is the woman who poured expensive perfume. You remember the story from Sunday school? The woman pours expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Um, some of the disciples, namely Judas, have problems with that, which should be our first tick on Judas there. Um, this is, that's Mary. Um, interesting point, Mary anointing Jesus' feet with oil is one of the few stories in all four Gospels. So when you go through that in your quiet time, pay close attention to it, okay? Um, Martha is the woman from Luke 10. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but Mary has found the one thing. This is the same group, okay? These are the same people. And Lazarus, their brother, is dying. Now we move into John chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now, and you may want to underline five, because this is where we're going to spend our time. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again to Lazarus. Why does Jesus wait? This is the question, right? He hears that Lazarus is sick. He waits Two extra days, he gets there. By the time he's there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. He could have come earlier and saved him. So why does Jesus wait? Two reasons, one big and one small, okay? One big and one small. The small one first. 
People in those, so why did Jesus wait? Reason number one. People in those days could be very spiritual in a bad way. Okay? The, here's what I mean. There were tons of pagan rituals and beliefs. And one of the beliefs in the t- of the time is that when you died, the soul left your body and it waited for a couple of days. Sometime, and sometimes the soul just decided to return to the body. These people didn't know what it meant to be in a coma and things like that. So if Jesus came back early, you know, in the two to three days that people thought your soul hung around, he brings Lazarus back to life, Jesus won't get any credit for it. People will just say, well, his soul just returned to his body. This has happened before. And Jesus wants to fix that rumor, okay? Jesus wants to fix that pagan belief that the soul just returns to the body. That's the small reason, okay? Though it's important. Here's the second one, and this will take up the remainder of our time, okay? Verses 5 through 6. Now listen to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So you'd think he'd want to go immediately, right? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again Jesus loves them, okay? Now, here we go. Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. I said it right there. Jesus loves them, so he waited. I was hungry, so I ate some food. The word so connects these two thoughts. You see that? The word so connects what's going on here. Jesus loves them, so he waited and let Lazarus die. Jesus loves them, so he waited. Jesus loves them, so he let Lazarus die. Jesus waited. Now now let's go backwards. Jesus waited. Jesus let Lazarus die because he loved Mary and Martha. Jesus' love is the root reason for Mary and Martha's suffering and sadness here. Jesus' love is the back final reason for Lazarus's continued sickness and death. He could have been healed, but he loved him, so he waited. Are there other factors in Lazarus' sickness? Sure, but Jesus' love is the root reason this happened. And in the same way, everything that happens to you has the love of God at the very back of it. Everything that happens to you has the love of God at the very back of it. Jesus' love is the back root reason. It said it in verse 5. He loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he waits and allows this terrible thing to happen. It's rooted in love. God either causes or allows things to happen to you both good and terrible because of his love for you. God either causes or allows things to happen to you both good and terrible because of his love for you. I'm not just saying God is in control. He is. Listen, 
I bolded it so you know it's important. I'm saying, listen, God's fierce love for you is behind all the things that happen to you in your life. God's fierce love for you is behind all the things that happen to you in your life. And I know that right off the bat, we might not say, oh, makes sense to me, Ryan, sounds good. Of course God's love is why he allows these things to happen. And I know that that's going to take, you know, the, the bad things that happen. God's love is at the back of these things. And I know that's going to take some time to work into your soul, but the alternative to that, if it's not God's love at the back of the terrible things that happen to you, the alternative is much, much worse. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in the 1800s. He suffered from a painful uh, bodily disease called gout that I'll let Bo explain to you. Um, depression, criticism. He was basically abandoned by all his friends by the end of his life. His wife was manic depressive. In October of 1856, 10,000 people, 10,000 people gathered to hear Spurgeon preach. True story. Someone in the middle of the crowd screamed, fire. And terror broke out as 10,000 people trampled each other to get out. And seven of them died. Spurgeon was 22. And it almost killed him from heartbreak. And in all the pain in his life. Now think, God's love is at the back of this event. Now listen, all the pain in his life, all the suffering that God allowed, this is what Spurgeon said. It would be a very hard thing for me. If I have pain that God didn't send me, it would be a very hard thing for me if I had pain that God didn't send me. This would mean that the bitter cup that I drink was not filled by His hand. That my trials were never measured out by Him, nor sent to me by His planning of their weight and quantity. I'm going to read it again and then I'll tell you what he's saying. It would be a very hard thing for me to have pain that God didn't send me. We, our first kickback is, don't worry, this isn't from God. And Spurgeon's saying, if it's not from God, I'm in huge trouble. It, this would mean that the bitter cup that I have to drink was not filled by His loving hand. That my trials were never measured out by Him. Nor sent to me by His planning. Of their weight and quantity. Spurgeon is saying. If at the back of all my pain. There is something there. Other than God. Who loves me. I don't know what I'd do. I would have nothing to hold on to. There would be no hope for me. If the source of my suffering. Is something other than God. This is what this means. God and his fierce love is the reason for everything that happens to you in your life. If God is at the back of all your pain, then He is not some mad scientist pouring in hurt and suffering at random. He is a loving doctor of your soul, measuring out perfectly all the things good and bad that will ever happen in your life. Weighing them out carefully and lovingly before, ten, before, before they ever get the 10,000 light years away from you. I use this example with the college students because they're, they're all going through job interviews and that sort of thing. Um, 
every terrible thing that happens to you in your life, every good thing that happens to you in your life, before it ever gets 10,000 light years away from you, it has to sit in the interview room with God next to the broken chair, next to the vending machine that nobody likes, and God sits down with the file and says, this is what you can do. This is how far you can go. This is what I can, will allow you to do. This is what you can do to her heart. This is what you can do to his head. This is what you can do, and you can go no further than this. Now you can go. God filters everything that happens to you by his love before it ever comes into your life. He is not a mad scientist when it comes to pain. He weighs these things out carefully. Listen, in God's hands, pain is not a knife that tortures. It is a tool for surgery on hearts and families. In God's hands... Pain is not a knife that tortures, but a tool for surgery on our hearts and families. He cannot, we need to do open heart surgery. All right, I'm just going to kind of go for it here. No, you've got to cut to open up the heart so that you can save it. This is suffering in God's hands. It's the knife that opens up your heart. Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Your heart is exposed. Now God can do the work. He is not a mad scientist when it comes to pain. He is a loving doctor. And we see this in verse 4. John 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he hears Lazarus is dying. So look, it's gotten to Jesus. Here we go. This terrible thing has gotten to Jesus. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. But it will end in the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. So here it is, and here's the suffering, here's the death, and Jesus has a plan. He meets it with a plan. He's measuring it out. He chooses how many days to stay. He sees the end goal of this. God will get glory. That's the end goal. Jesus' plan in Lazarus' death and Mary and Martha's pain has to do with God's glory. And the same thing in your life. All the good that he allows, all the, the rough stuff he allows, is rooted in his glory for your life. But how could God possibly get glory from things going bad? Oh, the depth of learning this. Oh, the ways this will help you if you can master this teaching. Um... The, the gifted theologian and scholar Lecrae was at Passion 2019. He is super smart um, during, as at tw Passion 2019. And during his concert, he did a song called Broke. Okay, some of you may be familiar with this melody. Um, uh, and he said, and before he did the song, he prefaced it by saying this. Listen to what he says. He says, isn't it strange that when you're poor in money, you become rich in patience? When you're poor in money, you become rich in sympathy. You become rich in kindness and generosity. And the chorus of the song is, being broke made me rich. Generosity, patience, kindness. These are things that Lecrae would not have gotten had God not allowed him to be poor. Had God not willed that he suffer poverty. How dare you will that someone suffer poverty, God? I'm making them rich. Listen, listen. You've got to see the kingdom in it. You've got to see the kingdom in it. 
He is poor in money. Yes, I, God, am allowing this to happen. We've got to stop apologizing for him. He doesn't need that. A lion doesn't need you to talk him up, okay, right? God does not need that. Look at what he's allowing to happen. Listen, in God's hands, so look at through poverty, Lecrae became rich, okay? It was an awesome sentence. Um, In God's hands, suffering becomes surgery that helps your soul. In God's hands, suffering becomes surgery that helps your soul. In God's hands, even pain is used to heal. Now think about that. In God's hands, even pain is used to heal. This is such good news. Why would God allow suffering in your life? The same reason a surgeon would allow a knife to cut. He is working glory and healing in your life. God would allow suffering in your life for the same reason a surgeon would allow a knife to cut. He is working glory. A couple years ago, we, we renovated the student building a little bit on the inside, right? The, when you first come in. Um, but to do that, we had to tear that thing up. Okay? We had to tear out these middle walls. We had to rework where, like, where the desk was located and all these different things. And every day, the, the whole process took about a week and a half with, who was it? Keith, Crazy Greg, Bob, myself, Will Morrell. Uh, Sam was there for a little while. We had to do all this stuff. And every day leading up to that, it looks good, right? I like to think so. It looks good. But every day leading up to it, that place looked trashed. Now, what if every morning when I came in, I ran up to Keith and Greg and I said, what, what are you doing? You've destroyed the building. I'm supposed to sharpen the minds of youths in here. Why are you, how dare you do this? How would you allow this to happen? Every day they'd be like, Ryan, we're making it better. We're rebuilding it. We're making it new. We're making it new. But, but if every day I was like, why would you allow this to happen? Why are you doing this? We do the same thing. As God is renovating in our lives, as God is working in our souls, all we, instead of seeing, listen, instead of seeing the kingdom, instead of seeing that he's doing something good, what does James chapter 1 tell us? Rejoice in trial. He's working in our souls. But instead of seeing the fact that he's going to finish the student building, we can only see the rubble on the ground. That's all we focus on. Look, I can't believe you're doing this. He's making it new. He's doing a work inside of you. And you have to see the king. That's what it means to see the kingdom in this. He is working. He is renovating. He is rebuilding. What does Paul, listen, what does Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians 4.18? Do not look to what is seen. I couldn't see the, the completed student building yet. All I could see was the rubble on the ground. Do not look to what is seen. Don't, listen, don't look to the rubble in your life. Think to the completed picture God is working. The most popular tweet in 2012 by John Piper, another guy you should look up, J-O-H-N-P-I-P-E-R, in 2012. Listen to this. The most popular tweet in 2012 was this. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. That's awesome. 
God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. You looking at God and saying, you, you who drops your phone in the toilet again, you looking at God and saying, how dare you do this? I don't understand how this suffering is, is doing any good in my life or anyone else's is the equivalent of a four-year-old looking at a scientist saying, planes can't fly, <laughs> they're too heavy. And I mean this in a wonderful way. Guys, listen, I mean this in a wonderful way. We have no idea what we're talking about. We have no idea. If you try to explain jet propulsion mechanics to a four-year-old, he's either going to start crying for whatever reason, he's going to walk away and start playing or fall asleep in the middle of the conversation. And in the same way, we cannot begin to fathom and understand the ways of God. Why he does what he does when he does it. But let's look at some examples from the Bible that Piper lays out. Listen to this. Listen to the horrible circumstances and the glory that is being worked. Horror and glory at the same time. Watch. Well, listen, I'm not going to act it out. All right, here we go. You may find yourself in prison and God may be... You may find yourself in prison... And God may be advancing the gospel among the jail guards and making the church outside the prison cell bold. This is exactly what happens in Philippians 1 with Paul. He's imprisoned bad, but the church is spreading. They're emboldened by his example. And Paul's sharing the gospel with the guards. By the way, the high, this is something you can impress your friends with tonight out at Gagaba or whatever. The highest selling book of all time, the Bible. The second highest selling book of all time. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory about the Christian's journey through life. Second highest selling book of all time. Do you know where John Bunyan wrote that book? In prison. It has helped Christians for centuries since it was written in 1678. Twelve years in prison. Centuries of good. How dare you let Lazarus die? What good could possibly could possibly come from this suffering centuries worth and we like a four-year-old cannot even fathom the glory the hope that helped 5,000 people on September 11th from Lazarus's story that would not have happened had Jesus not done what he knew was best for his glory Piper uses another example you may find yourself sold into slavery, accused falsely of abuse, and forgotten in a prison cell. And God may be preparing you to rule a nation. Who is that? It's Joseph. Genesis 37 through 50. Falsely accused of abuse, thrown in prison, and forgotten there, and sold as a slave. The slave trade. And in no way am I saying are those things good. But I'm saying in Psalm 139, it says, not even darkness is dark to you. In God's hands, even darkness, even pain is used to heal. Another one, last one. You may walk through a famine, be driven from your homeland, lose your husband and sons, and be left desolate with one foreign daughter-in-law. And God may be making you the ancestor of a king. This is the book of Ruth. The ancestor of King David, who 
Jesus comes from this line. A Moabite foreigner. Now you may say, Ryan, all right, none of that's going to happen to me. That's fair. I'll love That's true, right? But if, any, but if these stories are any example, listen, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. And how God is going to use it for his glory. Like pages being stuck together for his glory. Okay, here we go. These people had no idea. Listen, these people, like Ruth wasn't sitting there like, I know King David's coming. That's okay. He, she had no idea. Joseph had no idea. Paul had no idea what God was doing in their life, in this suffering. At the back, listen, at the back of your suffering, at the back of your good times, and at the back of your suffering, is a God who loves you. At the back of your suffering, when I, when I say the back, I mean the root reason. At the back of your suffering is a God who loves you. And the reason I say that is, sometimes there will be so much pain that that's all you're going to have to hold on to. There is no earthly comfort to help. There is no, oh, I see how it's going to work out. That's not always going to happen. People may not see how it all works out. Ruth didn't know that David was coming. And in those times, all you're going to have to hold on to is the idea that at the back of all this suffering, I know I can hope because at the back of it all is a God who loves me. And that will be enough. I'm going to date myself here for a minute. Just slip it up. Let's get it over with. How many of you guys are familiar with a band called Switchfoot? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. There's hope for America yet. Here we go. Um, they have a song. They have a song in 2005, and this is so cool, called The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. Now think about it. Amen. Now think about this. Shadows are dark. By definition, there is no light in them. But for a shadow to exist, this is awesome, for a shadow to exist, what has to be at the very back of it? Light hitting something. Do you see that? The same thing is true in every dark situation in your life. For every shadow in your life, the sunshine of God's love is shining. That's why it, listen, think about it. The light of the sun is why the shadow exists in the first place. And so the, the shadow in your life only exists because God is working something. It is sourced in love. There was a guy, a theologian, his name escapes me right now. Piper uses this in a sermon. Uh, he, he was like a, the, a theologian. Okay, I use that a lot. A theologian is someone who studies like scripture and, and the text and stuff like that, right? Nerds for Jesus, right? They're wonderful people. I'm, I'd like to be one of them at some point, right? So that, that's what a theologian is. There's this guy, he's a theologian, he's been studying the scriptures for like 40 years or whatever. He's like 65 and he gets cancer, stage 4, not good. And he, he survives for about 3 months. And like a week before he dies, he writes in his journal, he says, cancer, dying. He says, I have learned more about Jesus in the last 3 months than in 40 years of studying scripture. In God's hands, cancer becomes a butler that takes you to Jesus. At the back of your suffering is a God who loves you. At the back of the shadows in your life, there is a sunshine blazing through. At the back of every circumstance is, God, is a God who loves you. 
enough to draw you closer to him. Jesus loves Mary and Martha, so he allows Lazarus to die. Listen, because if Mary and Martha had their way, they would rather have their brother alive and see no glory from God. And if we had it our way, we would want a comfortable picket fence life with a dead soul and no experience with Jesus. No Jesus, no problem as long as I've got A, B, C, D, E. But Jesus loves us too much to do that. Jesus, why would you let Lazarus die so that his family can see my glory and my power? Listen, Jesus, why would you let Lazarus die so that I can show Lazarus and his family that they never have to worry about death again? So that I can show Lazarus and his family that they never have to worry about death again. Matt Chandler's wife Another pastor you need to look up on YouTube, M-A-T-T-C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R. Matt Chandler's wife, Lauren Chandler, wrote a children's book about Lazarus and Jesus called Goodbye to Goodbyes. Listen to one of the last lines of the book. And Jesus said, there is a day coming when we will say goodbye to saying goodbye forever. Jesus healed Lazarus to show us that he has power over physical death. But then Jesus died on the cross so he could finally show us that through believing in him, we don't have to worry about ultimate death ever again. He can look at our dead hearts the same way he looked at Lazarus' dead body. How do you become a Christian? You become a Christian when Jesus looks at your dead heart the same way he looked at Lazarus' dead body and the Holy Spirit says, come forth and you will. And we can be born again. And through Jesus, we can finally say goodbye to goodbyes. We can say goodbye to death in our lives forever. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.